Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful I traded ashes for beauty. Children's church dismissed. Uh, Take your Bibles, let's go to Colossians. That was good, girls. How about that egg player too, right? (laughs) Awesome, good stuff. Luke, we're next week. Just kidding, we're not. We won't do that to you people. (laughs) Colossians chapter 1, and thank you ABT guys. Y'all just don't have a clue what happens back there in that booth, but there's some beautiful people back there. Thank y'all. Pastor Nate for bailing us out as well. So uh, anyways, yeah, good stuff. Just so you know, I, I had uploaded my sermon last night, but my sermon didn't upload. So I realized just about offering. Oh, so uh, y'all have been proud of me. The old knee got to work out on that sprint down the hallway. But anyway, it's up and running now, so we're good. We're, we're good to go. Colossians 1, 15 through 18. This is where we're going to be this morning. And so let's just go ahead and dive into the text and go ahead and read uh, this portion of Scripture. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 18. The Word of God says, He is the image of the invisible God. This is speaking of Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that as uh, your word is is preached, that it will be done so in your power. Lord, I pray that you will continue to draw us near to you as you draw near to us in this time of worship. May our hearts be open before you, and Lord, may you do the surgery that's needed in our life that we might go out of here different than how we came in. And so, Lord, be glorified, have preeminence in all this done, in all this said, in Jesus' name. 
Amen. As we continue in our study here on Colossians, this passage of Scripture this morning is a very important part of Colossians. Uh, In fact, I would say probably practically speaking, it may be one of the most important parts that you will seek to understand. Why do I say that? Well, many of you probably, like myself, on any given Saturday or some other day of the week, but it always seems to be Saturday, early in the morning, on the one day you've decided to rest in, you hear, ding, 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 ding. And who should be on the front porch, the door you do not use, but a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon? And this is one of those passages of Scripture they love to twist They love to spin, they love to turn and create doubt in your heart and mind as to, huh, I've never really thought about that. Huh, I've never really seen that before. Well, Community Baptist Church, that need not be said of us because we're going to see this morning the truth of this passage of Scripture. And I invite you and encourage you to participate at the end of the month in our apologetics conference because we actually have a workshop on how to witness to Jehovah's Witnesses when they show up at your door. But this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning is vital and very important to our understanding of who Christ is. Paul wants the reader to know some things in this first section of Scripture, actually the first two chapters of Scripture. And some of these things we've looked at and we've talked about already. He wants you to know the full gospel. Because just like he's writing to a group of people... We, the reader today, know that just like in Paul's day, in our day, there are false gospels. There are many people showing up at your door trying to spin the truth, trying to indoctrinate, trying to lead astray those who have heard the gospel of truth. And so, as Peter tells us, we need to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. As Jude says, we need to earnestly contend for the faith that's been once delivered. Once for all. The gospel's not changed. The message is the same. No matter who should twist it or pervert it. Paul's dealing with these kind of guys in this letter. You know this. We've talked about it. Asceticism. Judaizers. Angel worshipers mystical teachings. These were the type of things that were creeping into the church at Colossae. And the biggest attack that every cult will bring to your doorstep is an attack on the person of Jesus Christ. They will deny the deity of Christ. And so Paul is surgically and strategically going to lay out under the inspiration of God in this portion of Scripture what he needs us to know, what he wants us to know, and that is the truth of the gospel. He wants the reader to know the full gospel. We talked about this. He wants you to know the full will of God. This pastor's prayer, the prayer of these pastors that are there with Paul, writing to Colossae, Epaphras, and Timothy, and some of these others that that, that are there with him. They want the reader to know their prayer for them is to be filled with the will of God. And you'll remember the illustration with the cup. And when that cup is full, nothing else can fit in. No false teachings can be crept in, can fill in when you're full of the will of God, understanding the truth of God. Now, we'll never arrive this side of glory. But Christ's prayer, Paul's prayer, my prayer, 
Our prayer for each other should be that we are full of the knowledge of God. And increasing, if you'll read as we read last time, increasing in that knowledge, being filled up, full with the will of God. His prayer was also that we might walk in a way that is fully pleasing. Paul wanted the reader to know this, and this is what we talked about last time. Guys, that, that we are, are, are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We are followers of Christ. We are to be distinct and separate from the world. And when we're full of the will of God, it's easier to discern truth and error. It's only by the word of God we can discern truth and error. And so Paul wants the reader to know how to walk in a way that's fully pleasing. And Paul also wants us to know that all this fullness is found in the person of Christ. This is the only place we're going to find it, guys. You want to know purpose? You want to know meaning? You want to know why you're here? You want to know what this life's all about? It's about Jesus Christ. And you and I will never be complete apart from Him. We'll never be full. We'll always be lacking. We'll never be satisfied. We'll never find joy. We'll never find peace. As long as we seek after these things elsewhere. And that's why this world is in such a mess. Because the world is seeking it elsewhere. Drugs, alcohol, illicit relationships, various uh, money, jobs, careers different things. They're searching for purpose, meaning, completion, joy. None of that can be found apart from Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul wants the reader to know. How do I know this? Well, we're going to look ahead. Now, we're not here today, but Lord willing, we'll get into chapter 2. But notice what this verse says. For in Him, Christ, for in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him. Now this Jerry Maguire line, you complete me. Mm -mm. Sorry, Tom. No. Only Jesus completes you. So if you're looking for love in all the wrong places, to quote a bad song, you're going to come up short, gang. There's only one person. It's not your spouse either. Moms, it's not your children. Dads, it's not your wife, it's not your job, it's not your career. It's not how much your bank account has. Why do we chase these things? Why do we put these things before everything else in our life? And let's just hold up for a second. Let's emotionally remove ourselves for just a moment. Do we not invest so much into some of these? And look, these things I've named are great things and they should have priority in our life. They most definitely should have a position, a place in our life. But they should never, ever find their place where Christ belongs. And only Christ belongs on the throne of our life. And you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. Isn't that good to know? I mean, isn't it satisfying? Shouldn't it be joyful, invigorating. I mean, I, there's so many words that want to come to mind. When we think about 
Christ is our all in all. He is everything. He is life. He is breath. He's our sustenance. And if we can just capture that, if we can just understand that, if we can just begin to rest in that, how much fuller is your life when we're there? How much more complete is our life when we're there? When we're in that understanding. Now look, we, we, get hit, we get hit left and right with fiery darts. I understand that. Sometimes circumstances overwhelm us and in a moment an emotional whim can hit and we lose sight of that. I get that. But then we just simply allow Him His rightful place again in yielding, in repentance, in faith. And so repentance and faith isn't a one and done, gang. Repentance and faith is a minute by minute. It's a daily thing. It's a constant revisiting the foot of the cross that does take our ashes and turn them to beauty. And we need to understand the fullness of the gospel in that. So here's our full outline uh, that we're hoping to look at, and we won't get through this today, uh, but this is, Lord willing, where we hope to go. Christ, the fullness of God in the creation. And that's probably where we're going to be this morning. We probably won't get much further than that. Colossians 1, 15 through 18. We'll try to unpack that. Christ, the fullness of God in redemption. Uh, and that's 1, 19 through 23. And we read through this this morning. Uh, again, we won't, won't get there. but uh, And then eventually we hope to move into chapter 2 and see the Christ, the fullness of God in the church. And so, uh, kind of giving us a road map in Colossians. Again, I hope you're reading through Colossians and continue to stay in it and meditate on it, chew on it, think on it, pray on it as we go through these studies uh, in the days and weeks and months and year ahead. So, the fullness of God in creation. Let's take a look at this. Christ is all in all. Christ is all in all. In His deity... The Word of God says here in verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The image of the invisible God. We also will see in creation, He is sovereign. He is creator of the universe. Notice again, verse 16, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And then last, in preeminence. He's before all things. This is where we're going to get in a little closer on, on the drawing today, if you will. We're going to kind of hone in on these areas here. And so with that said, let's look at His deity. It says, Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God. Now, why is Paul putting this in here? Well, obviously he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but again, keep in context who these people that have been creeping in unnoticed, people bringing in these teachings that Epaphras is concerned about, and so he's exposing them to Paul, and he said, hey, you got this going on. And so Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing down these things, and he uses some very key words, and there's some key words I want us to focus on today. The first word is the word icon. Now, if you have a computer at home, as I assume most of you do, um, 
when you open up your computer, and usually on your home screen, you've got these little pictures. What are those things called? Icons. So, for example, if you own an Apple, and it, it may say Safari. Well, that Safari internet connection, that search engine, whatever the icon may be, that icon is representation of what that is. So you may not be able to see Safari in the internet world, but you see the icon of Safari, and so therefore you click on that icon that takes you to Safari. That's our understanding of this word even today. But what did Paul have in mind when he wrote it? The word image in Greek is the word icon, and it refers to likeness, manifestation, or replica. Now this is part of the reason why the JWs and the Mormons that show up at your house will try to take you down a rabbit trail away from the truth. Because, yes, sometimes the word is understood as a type of uh, likeness. Um, and I, I can't think of the exact word like a, a, when something uh, emanates. Uh, emanation, I guess, would be the word. Um, their idea, their teaching, and these false teachers of those days would often say, well, Jesus, yeah, that's good, but... He's just a lesser of the real. Because remember, the Gnostic teaching that was prevalent, that Paul's addressing, that also John addresses, the Gnostics taught this secret knowledge is higher knowledge. And so they would, through their philosophy, teach, matter is evil, spirit is good. Therefore, Jesus couldn't be God fully, completely, because matter's evil. God doesn't create matter because that would be Him creating evil. And so, this must be an emanation. So, go down the line a little bit and you'll find Jesus lesser than the original. And that's how they're using this word. It's a twisted perversion of the word. By the way, the Mormons still teach sort of that. You know, a God of a planet reproduces, spiritual beings come. You can have a, and eventually, you know, you can be a God of your own planet. This is part of their teaching. And so, there's some problems with this. And Paul knows this, he's exposing this, and this is why he specifically uses this word. In that culture, the image was a die or a stamp that was able to make exact reproductions. Passports in Paul's day had a section called icon, or distinguishing marks, which describes something about the person that set him apart from everyone else. So if you're going to be traveling from town to town, you may have a passport, and on that passport would be an icon, distinguishing things, that so they could look at it and know you were truly that person. When Paul says that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, he's saying there's some distinct marks that identify Him as God. By the way, you and I, according to Genesis 1.26, were created in the image of God, right? Notice what this doesn't say. This doesn't say Jesus is created in the image of God. No, it says He is God. It says He is the image. Not created in the image of, He is the image of the invisible God. 
There's a big difference. A big difference. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And there's distinct marks that sets him apart. And so, icon is part of that understanding. By the way, uh, he is the perfect image. He's the visible representation of the unseen God, Lightfoot. Icon expresses two ideas. This is, maybe this simplifies a little bit. If some of you have some puzzled looks on your face. First, likeness, as in the image of a coin or in the reflection in a mirror. So you remember when uh, you know, they were talking about taxes and Jesus says, show me the coin whose image is on the coin, Caesar's. We'll render that to Caesar, which is Caesar's. So likeness is one understanding. And that's where your cults will take it to mean simply that, a likeness. But there's a second definition of this word icon, and this is what's clearly here in the text. It's that word manifestation with the sense that God is fully revealed in Jesus. God, the invisible God, has manifested Himself in the flesh. And there's distinguishing marks. His name is Jesus. Paul is not mincing words here. He's making it clear that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We also see here in creation, uh, the text says... For by Him all things... Well, let's back it up. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, let me just stop there. This is again where they like to go. Well, see that right there? That says firstborn. This means Jesus was born. That He was created is what they'll try and tell you. He can't be God. It says He's the firstborn. Context, context, context. They'd love for you to stop reading, right? Because if you stop reading and listen to their argument, you might be swayed, you might be deceived. But if you actually keep reading the text, it becomes pretty clear. But let's unpack this word. What does firstborn mean? What, what, what does it mean, firstborn? What is Paul's use of the word here as firstborn? Christ existed prior to all creation. He is the firstborn of every creature. From the original language of the New Testament, the phrase is literally firstborn of all creation. You say, well, pastor, that doesn't really help a lot. Uh, what do you mean? The Greek word translated firstborn does not mean that he was the first one born. Rather, it emphasizes priority and sovereignty. He existed before anything was ever created. Well, for example, the Old Testament. Israel is referred to as the firstborn of nations, the firstborn of all nations. Question, was Israel the first nation? No. Well, then why does Scripture refer to them as such? Well, what about Esau? He was born before Jacob, right? But Jacob is referred to as the firstborn. But wait a minute. Why is that? Because in all those cases, in any other cases that you find this word used in regards to firstborn in those contexts, 
it's in reference to inheritance. Israel will be the inheritor of the kingdom to come. They will be the one that will uh, rule and reign with Christ. We, the church, will rule and reign with Christ, the kingdom that's to come. They were the nation, the chosen nation of their day, set apart unto Christ. Jacob was the one chosen to receive the blessing, the inheritance. By the way, what have we been talking about here in chapter 1 of Colossians? Look back up a little ways in the text. He has been referencing this idea of inheritance. Remember last time we talked about giving thanks to the Father, verse 12, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. See, Paul's using this word intentionally under the Holy Spirit because he wants you, the reader, to know that you are going to be a receiver of the inheritance because of who Christ is, because Christ is preeminent, because He is first place, because He is over all creation. The truth is obvious from verse 16. This is why you keep reading when the JW shows up at your house. Notice what it says. This clears it up in simple English. For by Him, Jesus, were all things created. All right, time out, Bo. My, my, my radio teacher in, in, in school used to stand like this, like Elvis, and he'd go, whoa, 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 time out now, Bo. Time out now, Bo. So time out now, Bo. For by Him, Jesus, were all things created. Well, He had to exist before all created things in order to create them. Right? And because He is the creator of all things, this implies sovereignty. So again, just keep reading the text and it clears things up. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Take that, you false teachers who want to talk about matter and, and spirit and evil and good whether it's visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. In other words, he's clearing it up for any of the other teachers that are there teaching lies about the deity of Jesus. He's making a big all... So you can't miss it. All things. What part of all do you not understand? All things were created through Him. Notice John 1, verse 1 through 3 relates to this as well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And all you got to do is keep reading the passage, and a little later down in John, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. No confusion, gang. Jesus is the manifestation of God incarnate. And He created all things. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is not a created being. He's always been. He's self-existent. He's always eternally dwelt with the Godhead, three in one. 
the emphasis then of firstborn is one of rank. It's not related to birth as we commonly think of it. And so our English translation does kind of a bad job in translating that understanding in our modern understanding of the phrase firstborn. And so we have to understand firstborn in biblical language, in the context of the culture, in the context of the time. And this is why proper hermeneutics, the study of the Word of God is vital, that science of interpretation, if you will, because if you pull things out of context, you will always miss the point. Psalm 89, 27, another reference to this type thing. It, it uses the word firstborn in referring to David's son. But it looks ahead to Christ. It says, I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. Well, wait a minute. How can David's son be higher than David? It's because the understanding of this phrase is one of rank. It's one of position. And so we understand that the firstborn, um, that Jesus is that firstborn. This is the reference to Christ here in the context of Psalm 89. He's making reference. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? Since Colossians 1.17 indicates that the Lord Jesus Christ existed before all created things, He Himself is uncreated, thus eternal. This verse says He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. He is the eternal God. Therefore, He is the supreme being. Brian Bell. He's before all things. And by Him all things consist. He is the supreme being. Hebrews 13.8 says this. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change, gang. Jesus doesn't change. He's unchangeable. He's, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Isn't that good, though? Think about it. If God doesn't change, can't you rely on Him? I mean, you can trust Him, right? If He tells you something in His Word, I don't care if it was written thousands of years ago. You can believe Him because God, by definition, cannot lie. Young people, listen to me. Young people, you live in a world where there's a lot of untruth. There's a lot of things that are misunderstood. There's a lot of miscommunication. There's a lot of lies that creep into your world. You need to listen, young people. Hear me. The Word of God will never lie to you. The Word of God will never deceive you. The Word of God will always tell you the truth. Now, sometimes we don't want to hear it. Big people, older people, adults. Right? We don't, we don't sometimes like what God has to say. But it's always truth, and it's always truth in love. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. Now I want you to notice that little phrase, for Him. Notice that little phrase. What's it all about? This little phrase gives us the answer to the meaning of life. Church, if you tuned out, I want you to tune back in. Because in, in the preaching world, that's what we call, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Look real closely at this phrase. Notice what it says. All things were created through Him, and this just in from ESPN. 
for him. It is football day. Good thing you're going to get out of here on time. Amen? Newsflash. It's for him. You're created for him. All things exist for him. You don't have to guess why I'm on this earth. What is my, what's life all about? Guys, your life is for Him. It only counts when we live for Him. If you don't know Him today, let me invite you to get to know Him. He extends an invitation to you. Call upon His name today that you might be saved because He desires to enter into a relationship with you. He wants to love you. He wants to lead you. He wants to give you purpose and meaning in your life. Because He is the author of your life. He has created you with purpose. And you and I will not be complete. We will always be lacking. We will not understand why and what and how and who and all this other stuff apart from Him. Our identity is in Christ. Now, many of you, let me see a show of hands. How many of you have seen the movie Overcomer? Okay, a handful of us have seen it. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to go see it. We don't go to movies to get theology, all right? Just say that. But it's a good movie. It's a great movie. It's an entertaining movie, and there's some great biblical truth in it. But there's this one scene, Pastor Dean and I were talking about this the other day, and there's, well, I don't give away too much, because some of you ain't seen it yet. But let me just say this. He asked a question, and so I ask you this question. Who are you? Some of you have seen the movie. You remember that. Who are you? And most people say, well, I work down at so-and-so. That's not what I ask. Who are you? Well, I'm the, I'm the father of so-and-so. And, or I'm the husband or I'm the wife of... Who are you? And guys, you will never, ever be able to answer that question unless you know Him. And He knows you. You're created... For him. And you and I will never understand our purpose. We'll never really be satisfied. Oh, we'll fill the cup with happiness and happenings along the way, but that empties out. That always empties out. The death of a loved one, one crisis, our circumstances hit us hard, bad news reported at the doctor. All these things can empty us if we don't know Him. But if we know Him, those circumstances can come and it doesn't matter how hard we're tossed to, how hard we shake, how, no matter what should happen, you will never be emptied of your purpose because your purpose is found in Him. And so no matter how bad the storms rage, no matter what circumstances, no matter what news comes into your life, in Him you are safe. He is the cleft. He is your rock. He is your hiding place. That is where you will find comfort. That is where you will find peace. That is where you will find joy that surpasses the happenings. Happiness is based on your happenings. God doesn't want you happy. God wants you holy. And you're not going to be holy by doing good. You can never be good enough. You can go to church every day of the week. You can bake cookies and take them to every neighbor in the neighborhood. You cannot cuss, chew, or go where girls would do. It doesn't matter. None of those things will make you holy and acceptable in the presence of God. The only thing that can make you holy and acceptable in the presence of God is God Himself. And God reached down in the person. He manifested into the presence of mankind as a man. And His name is Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus is the name above every name. There's no name greater than Jesus. And Jesus is the only one who can save you. He's the only one who can give you purpose. He's the only one who can give you meaning. He's the only one that can give you a life and a direction that's worthy because He is worthy. And so if you're here today and you're searching for answers and you're looking for hope or whatever the case may be, Jesus gives you meaning. It's for Him. That's what it's about. I mean, that's, that's what it's about. Jesus is to be preeminent. Paul wants the reader to know this as well as he's writing here. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. Now think about that. Everything, I mean, he holds it together, right? He's not just to be prominent. He's to be preeminent. You see, a lot of Christians... A lot of good Bible-believing Christians, a lot of churchgoers, oh, yeah, I got Jesus in my life. I love Jesus. Me and Jesus, we good. You may see Him as prominent, as a part of your life. But guys, Jesus is to be preeminent in our life. He's to be Lord of our life. We compartmentalize. Why don't we compartmentalize our faith? It's like, okay, well... Church is what I do on Sunday. But the rest of the week, I'm going to live however I want to live. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to do and talk and, and, and all these. I'm going to live completely as if that's my life and this is Jesus' little life over here that I have for Him. Our faith is not to be fragmented, quoting Oz Guinness from last week. We're not to have a compartmentalized life, guys. If Jesus has filled your cup, that cup should overflow into every area of life. And we talked about this. This is why and when He has preeminence in our life, when I go to work, Jesus goes with me. The Holy Spirit indwells us as believers. So therefore, my co-workers, are they seeing Christ in me? Christ should have preeminence in how I treat my employees and my employer. Paul's going to talk about these things later. He's also going to talk to us, husbands and wife, how we are to treat our spouse. Christ is with us and in us. And so therefore, how is my relationship with my spouse? Does my spouse see Christ in me? Do I extend grace upon grace? He's not just to be prominent. He's to be preeminent. So let me ask you this question. Are you living for Him? Is He preeminent in your life? One life to live for Christ my Lord. One life to do my part. One life in which to give my all with fervency of heart. Guys, Christ is the image of the invisible God. He said to His disciples, you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. That phrase, firstborn, over all creation, is simply a word that signifies rank. 
It belongs to Him. He's first. He's preeminent. He's Lord over all creation. Nothing has been made that has been made apart from Him. Nothing consists without the upholding of His Word. He could speak it and it could all be decimated. Just as He spoke it in the beginning and it was created. There will come a day He will speak and the elements of the universe will flame. Don't take my word for it. Read Peter. Look at the end time. He destroyed the world originally with water. The next time he destroys the world with fire. Do you know him? Because there's a day of judgment that will come. And God's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. But people don't want to hear this message. They want to be entertained. They want to have fun. They want to be happy. God's not against your happiness, as I said, but He's more concerned with your holiness. Put your faith and trust in the One who came from eternity past, stepped into time, took on the robe of a man, lived a sinless life, a holy life, because you and I could not. And then He laid down His life for you. He died on a cross, shed His blood, so that you and I could be forgiven of all of our sins. The things we've thought, the things we've done, the things that are shameful, that are in secret, that we hope nobody ever finds out. Jesus knows those things. And yet He says, I still love you in spite of that. But you have to trust me. Turn from your sin. Put your hope and faith in me. I will forgive you. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. I'll give you purpose. I'll give you meaning. And I will give you a way to live. I'll exchange my life for your life. And I'll take your sin. And I'll give you my holiness. That's the great exchange, guys. And that happens at the foot of the cross. And if you're willing to surrender your life in repentance and faith, He promises you because Jesus didn't just die and stay dead. The thing that sets Him apart from every other world religion, everything that, that sets Him apart from every other person that's ever walked this earth is Jesus died and three days later He rose from the grave, victorious over death. He is alive, never to die again. He ascended to the right hand of the Father and He awaits the Father's command to go and get His children. Are you one of His children today? And if you are one of His children, are you living for Him? Let's ask God to have preeminence in our life. Let's don't let these words simply be words that fall on deaf ears. Let us be... Not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Let's let our life count for the cause of Christ. Guys, this past week we had our clubs kick off. And it's good to see some of our, our kids and folks that were visiting that, that are back with us. Guys, keep praying for our, our clubs on Wednesday night. I know the storm was kind of threatening and so some people were a little uncertain. But let me just tell you what's happening on Wednesday nights. We had a good meal with the church family. We sat down and ate 
And then at 6.30, we open up the doors for our community. And we've invited folks to come in because we recognize that if Jesus Christ is preeminent in your life, there's one thing that should be preeminent in your life, and that is the need for the gospel to be proclaimed to lost and dying people. And it doesn't take a lot of effort to invite someone to be a part of what God's doing here. And that's the easy way out. Jesus actually wants you to be a witness for Him. He wants you to actually open your mouth and articulate the gospel. He wants you to actually know the full gospel and proclaim what Jesus has done on behalf of the sinner. Because you know what? They may not get that opportunity to come here and hear the gospel, but you're in front of them. God's placed you in their life. And that won't be on, on, on me on that day. That'll be on you. Now, I have my own share, trust me, and double so, according to Scripture. But guys, God desires to use us. He wants us to be that vessel. He wants to use you for His glory. We need to be willing I want to encourage you this week, join us. I want to encourage you this week. You know some kids? Some of you got grandkids, and you're worried about their soul? Bring them! The gospel's being given every Wednesday night. Some of you have got neighborhood kids. You see them, they play in your yard. Load them up. Get permission first, please. <laughs> we don't need the police showing up and taking them out of here, all right? And you with them. But seriously, gang, this... Why would we not, if he's, if, he's, if he's spilling over in our life, every relationship that we're having, Christ needs to be present somehow in that, doesn't he? Or maybe it's just prominent. It's not preeminent. Whatever has got your heart, that's your treasure. Does Jesus have your heart? Let it overflow. Church, Christ showed his love by dying for us. We show our love by living for him. Let's pray. Father, Lord, as we look at this passage, we understand Paul is is no doubt trying to make clear to the reader some things that are of vital importance. That is the truth of the gospel against the attacks of the lies of the enemy that try to pervert the truth. As we've seen in our study today that he uses words specifically to explain who Christ is and His deity. He is God in the flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh. And all things that have been created, whether invisible or visible, principalities, powers, it doesn't matter what, what the rank is of anything created, the bottom line is they are all subservient to Him. He is sovereign over all. Time itself speaks to this truth. Christ existed outside of time and He created time. And then He penetrated time. I think of the, uh, of the passage, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world 
that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Even the gospel truth itself indicates that God the Father sent the Son. The Son had to have existed before He could send Him. You can't send something unless it already exists. Christ is God incarnate. And He is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. Lord, I pray this morning if there's someone here that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and I pray that today might be their day of salvation. Lord, I pray that you'll move on the hearts of every listener that's here. And if there be one soul here, one soul that you've brought in today that would be honest and say, I don't know Christ. I just, I, I've heard about Him. I know a little bit about Him, but I don't know Him. He doesn't know me in a personal relationship, but I want that, preacher. I want my sins forgiven. I, I want to know the God of the Bible. I want to know Jesus Christ in a personal way. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to repent of your sin. Listen, we've all sinned. We have all sinned. There's not a, there's not a person in this room who has not sinned. We've all come to this place where we recognize that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Don't be ashamed that you fall short of the glory of God. We're all shamed before a holy God because we all fall short of that glory. And the wages of sin is death. If we get what we deserve, we all deserve death. But the gift of God, hear me now, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God wants to give you a gift today. It's His only begotten Son. He wants to exchange His holiness for your sinfulness. But you have to be willing to turn to Him today. You have to be willing to call upon the name, the only name, under heaven, given amongst men by which to be saved. If you're here today and you've never called upon that name, you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, I want to ask you to do that right where you're seated. Right now, surrender your heart to Christ as He beckons you to come, as He calls upon you to trust Him, to put your faith and hope in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. He's listening. He'll hear you. Church, pray. Pray for the ones that are listening and hearing this gospel truth that they would respond in faith that God's mercy and grace would be extended and a new life would begin today in Christ. The old would be washed away and that all things could become new in Christ. Salvation belongs to you, Lord, and I pray that you'll move on the heart of the listener. Draw them to repentance and faith. If you by faith have reached out to Christ, 
I want to ask you to do something bold. I want to ask you to simply stand to your feet. Nobody's looking. If you just called upon the name of Christ to save your soul, I want you to stand up. Just stand to your feet. God knows your heart. Stand and remain standing. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. To as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to become the children of God. If God is calling you, respond in faith. Stand to your feet. Father, you know the heart of every listener. And whether they could stand or not stand, it's your salvation. It belongs to you. And Lord, I pray that if a seed's been planted or a seed's been watered today, that you'll continue to bring the increase. You're more than able. Your grace is sufficient. And Lord, for whatever reason, if somebody couldn't, then that's okay. I pray, though, that they will take time to seek help and guidance through your word. Because just like a newborn baby needs someone to help them to grow, you've given gifts to the local church to help those babies in Christ to be nourished, to be nurtured, to be cared for in hopes that they will grow to maturity. And Lord, for us who are walking with Christ, I pray that you will help us to be complete in Him, lacking nothing. Fill us with the will of God that we might know Him and make Him known. And we'll give you the praise for what you're doing and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.